Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi everybody, welcome to Scattered. We've got a full team again today. Um, lovely to see you all ladies. And we are looking at um, the first part of um, 1 Timothy chapter 3 today. So we're firmly now into sort of the detail of um, the advice that Paul's giving to Timothy about how to do church, how to set up church. And this section today, which is verses one to the end of verses, um, the end of verse 13, is all about um, elders and deacons. Or the phrase um, in my Bible is overseers. So I guess my first question, ladies, that I'd love us to think about is what is an overseer and what is a deacon? So an overseer is a literal translation of what the Greek word um, was. So the Greek word is episkopos, which literally means overseer. You can look back at Acts 20 to give us some background of what these overseers would do. And often there were many overseers in the same city. They could also be translated as leaders, elders, or pastors, which is also in um, Acts, verse, Acts chapter 20. Um, and yeah, generally they were, had oversight over many house churches. Deacon is um, also a, a word that's actually taken from the Greek word, which is uh, die diaconia which is um also you can find out more about the deacon word from acts um in particular chapter six and it was a role that was created when there was a point of need within the church that actually the main responsibility was to take care of physical and um yeah physical needs of the congregation Thanks, Julia. Anything to add to that, ladies? Uh, I guess, yeah, we'll we'll look at this in a minute as we look at the two different sections in this passage. But I guess the key thing is to say that the overseer has more of a role of teaching and oversight and that the deacons have more of a, um emphasis on serving. Okay, so I'd love us to think a little bit about the context that Paul's writing in. And why it might be that he feels the need to go into so much detail about the um, qualifications for both these roles. What do we think, ladies? I completely missed this question. I didn't even see this question. Whoops. Did you mean <laughs> Ephesians 4 or 5? That's what I, I had a question. Did you mean Ephesians 5? Oh, sorry. I meant yeah. um, 1, 1 Timothy. Timothy 5. Okay. So if you look at the context of the, this letter as a whole, it's Paul writing to Timothy about the Ephesus church in which there has been an issue with church leaders leading people astray and if you look later in um, 1 Timothy chapter 5 verses 19 and 20 he talks about um, making charges against elders um, and how to deal with those who persist in sin and so he's clearly at Ephesus there is a massive issue with with leadership, with elders, either, you know, in the case of the people at the beginning of the letter, 
who were clearly leading people away from the true gospel. Or later in the letter, we see that maybe there are some elders who have been wrongly accused and maybe have been accused and um, uh, or people have attempted to discipline them for political gain or for whatever reason. So he's he's clearly stating here, these are the qualifications for this group of people. This is the qualification for this group of people, because there is clearly a massive problem in the Ephesian church. Thanks. OK, so then what what is it that Paul emphasizes? What's important to him that we can draw out from this list of qualifications? OK, I think there's an emphasis on how other people kind of view the person who is being put up for the role of either bishop or deacon I think so it's there's like if you look at verse uh, two it talks about them being blameless and I don't think that means like completely sin sinless but I think it it's to do more with whether you know if someone throws accusations at you whether they would stick um, you know because you're you're not acting rightly and your life doesn't reflect your faith and things like that um and uh yeah sort of respect like the word respect respected is kind of repeated um and I think it's interesting I think it's for deacons as well like how do people outside the view uh, outside of the church uh view for them do they have um uh a good standing in the community and um yeah, I think I think there's something here that's not just is this person got a degree in theology or does this person uh, have a certain level of education, but it's is this person seen to be a righteous person who who does love God with all of their heart and love others really well. It's it's clearly, isn't it? You know, earlier in the letter, Paul's been talking about um, sort of the outward working of an inward faith. And the question here is, is this person who's being put up for this role in church, do they have um, an outward working of an inward faith? This is how this should be manifesting. Is it? And we need to examine as we look at these people, are we examining their lives and are we able to see those things in it? And I think like past sin before people become a believer isn't included in this because like we can see the Apostle Paul himself before he came to contact with Jesus or confronted with Jesus, he did a lot of things which would discredit him from being, you know, a leader. But actually afterwards, um, he was then after he started teaching, he was also examined by the apostles and by others to see that his character was um, in fitting with what he believed. I was just going to say, Mary, I thought it was, I just wanted to emphasize what you said about um, it wasn't people with theological, theological degrees or anything. I mean, I know they didn't exist in those days, but like these are a list of character traits, aren't they? Not... Um, how much do they serve in church or how you know what things do they do or have they been to seminary it's very much how um, yeah their, their character mm. although I think I would like you know if I was looking for someone who I thought should be an elder I think I would like them to be serving in the church and showing 
that they care about God's people already by serving in the church. But yeah, I, I see, what, I know what you mean. It's not about necessarily about what they're doing. Um, I think it's really interesting, the emphasis as well on how the both the overseer slash elder role and, and the deacon role, there's a focus on how, like how they conduct themselves within their families and in their household. Tim Keller talks about, doesn't he, you're, you you are who you really are um, when you're alone. Um, so who are you when you're alone? But I think an extension of that is you're also who you really are um, when you're with your family. And I feel like if, yeah, if a, if someone can't within their own family be just and kind and, you know, some of these things, um, not violent, uh, gentle, if they can be gentle in their family and things like that, then by extension, um, they can be those things in the church. But we don't want someone as an elder, do we, who is, you know, one thing at home and one thing in church. Like, I think that's so important, isn't it? In you know, in faith in a whole, I think if we can't be kind to our children, how on earth are we going to be kind to people at work? Like, if we can't be just with our kids, then yeah. So I think that's really interesting that he kind of points to home life as an indicator of how this person might function within the church. And, the, and there's lots of things within there that are in fitting with like the Ten Commandments. Um, and you, you can see that with um, basically like not committing adultery. Um, yeah, not coveting or greedy or um, these are all things that he's wanting to uh, show us as like a reflection of people's hearts um if they're if they're and it's also like a higher it's a higher standard than the general church isn't it because i think he's trying to give um almost like it's not a foolproof way of ensuring that leaders are believers but it's trying trying that as much as possible to yeah Hmm. And I think we need to be careful. Yeah, I, I absolutely yeah. agree with that. I think, though, that we need to be careful and recognize that the passage doesn't say, or Paul isn't saying, a single person must hold all these attributes. However, like, these are the markers that you need to look at in their in their lives. And if they haven't achieved all of these things, then they can't be an overseer, or they can't be a deacon. But these are the standards that we're setting and we need to measure them against that. How are they, how are they measured against that? Not that they need to achieve it completely in order to become an overseer. Otherwise we would have virtually perfect people <laughs> running our churches. And as much as I delight in the leadership of St. Clements, I'm not sure they're quite there yet. I was, uh, I'd quite like to throw in a little grenade here. Like, what are your thoughts on whether a woman can do either of these roles, guys? Uh, I think that women can serve as deacons. Um, I think if you look at Romans 16, verse 1, and with where it talks about Phoebe, and um, 1 Timothy 3 here, verse 11, um, I think using the Greek here is useless. Sorry, a little... Greek geek Juliet today but uh because it throughout the New Testament it can mean either wives or women um I think if helpers 
or helpers sorry I think I I would have um I think if Paul had intended for the diaconate to only be women uh, sorry only be men then he would have been as explicitly clear as I feel he is uh, in the previous chapter um and um I think it would be weird if he was talking about male deacons and then suddenly talking about their wives and then going back to male deacons. I don't think that makes sense. Um, I've got a lot of other reasons why I think that deacons can be women. You know, if he's referencing the wives of deacons, why didn't he reference the wives of elders? Because that's, you know, within the church structure, that's... um, I guess the way I would put it is a higher authority. Um, And deacons, like you said, Juliet, another word for deacon is helper. And so they don't teach or exercise authority, but rather they serve and help in the church ministry. Um, And so I don't I don't see anywhere where it it says that um, women can't be deacons. Okay, from an egalitarian perspective, um, women can be overseers and deacons and yeah uh, we also look at Romans 16 and yeah as Helen said Phoebe the female deacon Um, but also in Romans 16 verse 7 there's a female apostle (laughs) so you can read up more about that if you're wanting. I guess if you're complementarian um And by that, again, we're talking about people who think that women shouldn't be in the role of uh, elder or overseer. I think this passage is important because um, it's obvious that one of the roles of overseer and elders written here is teaching. Um, And as complementarians believe that a woman shouldn't be in that position of teaching men, then therefore, yeah, they cannot hold this role. Um... But yeah, the deacons, uh, especially the category of, so in verse 11, it talks about their wives, but actually the word there isn't in the Greek and wives can be just women. So lots of people, including lots of complementarians, um, say that this should actually say likewise women. So therefore women in the role of deacons should be these things from verse 11. Um, So definitely women can be deacons haven't completely come to a conclusion on elders yet uh, in my mind but definitely leaning towards that the passage seems to be saying it it should be a man Um, I think there are egalitarians who argue that this passage is gender neutral but I just feel like you have to work really hard in this passage and in other passages to make it gender neutral it feels like that isn't necessarily what Paul is saying but Juliet you might want to come back at me on that um I think the fact that the instructions for um overseers and deacons are the same I think if you count if you think that overseers can only be husbands from that passage then I think the natural um thing would be actually deacons can only be men also from this passage um, because it also says the same things, you know, husband to one wife. So surely that should be a man. I would say that, like I said before, that elders should be men. I'm with Mary. I think it's pretty convincing that deacons um, can be men or women. 
I think um, reading around it when it's talking about the husband of one wife and because um, it does say it in both sections, doesn't it? It's it's um, reading around it. It's the concept of faithfulness. So it's not saying that deacons or um, overseers have to be married men. It's just that it's men with the character trait of faithfulness who would, if they were married, have one wife because I think it's clear that you don't have to be married to be an overseer Paul was unmarried there's plenty of unmarried people examples um uh throughout the bible so I I know we slightly Helen slightly touched on this earlier but and there's lots of crossover between requirements for elders and for deacons but can we just nail down what is the big difference between the two roles and the two things, the main, the main difference between in those two lists. Basically, the main difference is that the whatever way you see it, bishop, elder or pastor, the overseer must be able to teach. So it's mainly a teaching and authority role that the that that overseer has. Great. But let's just tease that out a little bit. So now that often means that you've done some study, you've been you've had some further education on on the Bible. What do you think that meant back then? What did it mean that somebody was able to teach? That they came with a lot of authority um, and actually knew, I think often initially it was people that were apostles who had direct um, authentication from Jesus and from the other apostles that the word that they had was um, the truth and um, was vetted and then now that authority is from the bible and so um, you can say that authoritative teach authoritative teaching is teaching from the bible and nothing else i guess the, the big question that i wanted to just throw around is what is the challenge like how has this passage challenged your view of what christian leadership is has there been any personal challenge in this passage about um the characteristics because yeah I think if I'd been writing this passage I for sure would have written they must do this 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 and this but like we've said it's all about who they are isn't it not what they do and so <clears throat> I guess that leaves a lot of freedom around the specific jobs that are done by these people but I think there's a lot of challenge here isn't it in the type of person that is required so yeah how is it um honed your thinking about Christian leadership what's what's challenged you ladies I think it's worth mentioning that in this um day and age we are seeing uh I'm, I'm thinking of a particularly prominent pastor at the moment who's kind of uh had some accusations uh brought against him which have found to be um substantiated true, true yeah um and, you know, when you look back at those accusations, it's not necessarily that this guy has been, you know, abusive, you know, sexually abusive or, you know, murdered anyone. But it, it's character stuff um, that lots of people around him, if they read this passage really uh, closely, potentially should have seen. So I guess for me, it's challenging, like, although we shouldn't be judgy of our pastors and we shouldn't you know lightly call them into account but um I know of another church situation where the pastor um would be very like very rude and 
um, degrading about some of the people around him in in private um, and you know things like that and I feel like yeah it's challenging isn't it for pastors um, to be like how do I live in front of my family and how do I live in front of my friends what am I like on a Friday night when I've had a beer or whatever or a wine if that's what you're into um, and I guess for us as church members as well like I don't think we should be watching and judging our pastors all the time but if there's something that we've noticed um, particularly that we're, we're struggling with in the way that our pastor behaves like are we keeping them accountable um, and being like I'm not sure that this is the right way to be acting. Yeah thanks Mary it, it's sobering isn't it how often um, personal yeah, just personal characteristics then can completely derail a ministry. And I guess, mm. like Mary said at the beginning, this passage is bookended, isn't it, by how outsiders view our leaders is actually really important. Um, Julia, anything, any challenges for you? Yeah, well, actually, I was blessed because I misread one of the questions and I looked at Ephesians chapter five. <laughs> and... Um, like I just found it like the first verse in Ephesians chapter five is be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's so important to be reminded that all these characteristics come from that. And it's like, uh, like, I really want to read it with chapter two and chapter one like as a reminder of the outflowing of salvation meaning that our lives are changed to be more like him and so how much more do we want our pastors to be like him <laughs> you know and it's just a um it's just a beautiful reflection of the gospel and its power in our lives and i feel like um these are things that we should look for in our pastor, but we should also look for in our own lives. And I just found them a good list for us to think about for ourselves and just a big challenge. Cause I think there's probably different things in there that you feel like, ah, oh, that I'm not, I'm not gentle all the time or, you know, different things that are again, convict us of our sin. And um, also in, Ephesians chapter five, it was basically like, you know, for once we were in darkness, but what now we are in the light. And so we want to bring things in the darkness out into the light. And so these things are still there within us and we want to be bringing them out. And so, um, yeah, just give thanks for lists like these that if you feel convicted as I have, then we can bring them to God and again experience his forgiveness and his grace i mean that's wonderful but i can i just tell you that i have colin buchanan's song stuck in my head now oh please i feel like we've not had a song from <laughs> i'm sorry oh, please sing for one time you were darkness now you're light in the lord ephesians i first eight eight just like to say Helen actually has a really nice singing voice but when she's on Scattered she always sounds like she's doing karaoke and she's had like one or two to drink. Thanks Mary. 
you want to hear her singing? Because I don't want to sound too try hard. Because <laughs> I reckon I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway. Okay, pulling it back. Pull, pull, it, pull it back. Pull it back, guys. Uh, yeah, I just, I agree with Juliet. I found this whole list incredible, incredibly um, challenging, not only for myself, but also just as I think about um, church leaders, not only here in the UK where I am for the next 10 days or in my country of service. Um, I I think that they are, if you read this, they're held to an incredibly high standard, aren't they? Like the overseers, are you basically, are you loving the people around you like Christ loved the church? And are you laying yourselves down for them? And, um, and wow, what pressure that is. And I think so often with church leaders, no matter which church I'm in, I'm so quick to judge. Um, and yet, if I was being held to this standard, I think I might feel the pressure <laughs> feel pretty pretty overwhelmed so um it did two things it really challenged me on my behavior in terms of these lists but also it challenged me in my behavior and my thought life um towards my church leaders it's a good thing you're a complementarian because you know you don't you don't need to worry about this bit <laughs> true story <laughs> it's just for elders right <laughs> Hey, Mary, 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 there's other lists I could direct you to if you really want to have a list uh, directed oh, to yourself. Oh, I'm not really a list person, actually. <laughs> Mary's, Mary's all about the spontaneity. She doesn't like lists. Yeah. She likes pictures no. and drawings. I'm, I only like lists when I'm packing up to leave a country, and then I'm all lists. <laughs> um, I was really challenged by the bit in verse 8 that talks about... Um, an elder mustn't be a recent convert or he might become puffed up with conceit. And it just got me thinking about actually spiritual maturity is humility, isn't it? And actually, you know, you can have somebody that's really zealous for the Lord that's just understood the gospel. And that's a beautiful thing. But actually, spiritual maturity is often um, somebody that sees their sin and understands the sinfulness of their own heart. And there's there's a real freedom there, isn't there, to um, love the gospel more and find your identity, not in who, not in your achievements, but in what Christ has done for you. And so, yeah, I was just really mulling on that and encouraged that actually, yeah, maturity is often a growth in humility. And that is super challenging for me because my natural tendency is pride. But yeah, I just thought that was such a helpful because like Mary, I was thinking of examples. I can think of examples of really able, very young men that are very charismatic and very passionate and the danger of elevating them to Christian leadership too soon can just be a disaster. And so, yeah, mm. I find that really helpful, that idea of just the need for the humility that comes with um, walking with the Lord for a long time. Yeah, there's a reason that elders are called elder. Like, they need to be older, I think. So if a 60-year-old man, or, yeah, if a 60-year-old converts, they're more likely to become a elder than a younger person who's been a Christian for 10 years more. Well, I think the original, like, word for elder, did, didn't it just mean, like, older i mean obviously i'm not saying that a new convert should be but i do i do think there's something about 
age that it just naturally gives you a bit more wisdom I agree I don't know. I'm, I'm just being facetious yeah. I agree with you <laughs> and um, also if you look at the if you look want to look more in acts there's some you know there's different times where young people were given more time to experience like live their faith before becoming a leader whereas yeah older people within the church were quite quickly put into positions but then there's acknowledging that they might have been in a Jewish structure before so yeah it's hard to know I think as well it's worth especially in the UK appreciating the culture that we live in that really values the status of the big charismatic beautiful young person and that that that's like me exactly Mary I was looking at your the Mm -hmm. screen and thinking just like Mary um but that that is the cult that's what we esteem isn't it and that's what we aspire to or at least our culture does and I just think I listened to such a helpful Don Carson talk on this passage and he just said it's faithfulness isn't it actually if you you boil lots of these different characteristics down and there's that just the faithfulness of keeping trusting the Lord keeping walking with him and that impacting everything that you do and everything that you are but that's not glamorous and it so it doesn't say he must be a really snazzy speaker or he must be a really charismatic leader um but it's just interesting isn't it because that is what our culture values and what would what the media um highlights and so this list is so countercultural isn't it it's points to Sorry. a smaller um you know smaller church sizes I guess because you actually know these things about your elder because if you if it was a big you know tens of thousands of people you wouldn't know all these different things and it would be very hard for you to know these things whereas actually if you're in a smaller community you can you can see if they're gentle you can see if they're um quarrelsome or covetous or greedy you you can see these things in the way that they operate as a family and the way that they interact with the community around them so I think it really points to a smaller like a yeah just a a more intimate knowledge of your leaders I guess thanks so much everybody (laughs) um yeah it's I think we all agree they're they're challenging lists but um yeah hope you have a good time looking at that passage see you next week Bye. Bye. We should have asked you on air, Jill. Does Paul match up to this list?